morning. We welcome you. We are glad you are here. If you're a visitor with us, uh, we really do count on the privilege to worship with you. It's not just something we say to make sure you feel welcome. You are welcome. Uh, we love you, and we count on the privilege. Um, this little kiosk right here, this welcome to Cross Point, we're glad you're here. See, we even put it on our sign, because we really are. Um, that uh, Clay Petzold, this uh, well, well-groomed man right here, he'll be He'll be at that uh, kiosk and uh, there to answer questions and really get you connected to other people. Um, as well, there's some, uh, there's some cards in the back of your seats that you can fill out with your information. And the idea is that to be connected in a church, to find a church home is a big decision. And so we want to get you the information that you need and we want to get you connected not just to a program but to, to people. And so if you'll fill that out, you can drop it in the little uh, um, offertory satchels that come by. Uh, later on, and we'll process that accordingly. But we're glad you're here, and we count on the privilege. Uh, I'm going to open us with a word of prayer, and then we will dive right into our text in Romans. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, and uh, we are humbled to be able to gather here and to know uh, that you are here. We're humbled to be able to gather here and to know that there's the possibility that we can open up your Bible, this, this Bible that we have, this breathed out word from you, and that we can be built up and we can be informed and that we can, in fact, through it, because it's your word, grow closer to you and grow closer to each other. So, Lord, we humble ourselves before you uh, this morning and we count it a privilege to be here. A few things we want to pray for before we get started. First, uh, we want to pray for just our local leadership here in this city. We pray for our city council. I want to pray for... Uh, the mayor, David Drylings, uh, particularly um, this morning, that you would encourage him and help him to lead in a way that, that is good for this city and that glorifies you. Lord, we've seen a lot of blessing in 2016, and our hope is that our, our local leadership would continue to lead in a way to where this is a, a community where the gospel can go forward and where people are genuinely blessed. Lord, we also pray for, I uh, want to pray for another church. We pray for Fellowship Bible Church. Lord, we celebrate with them and... Uh, in finding a new pastor, and we pray for him this morning, for Travis Chappelle and his family, that you would um, lead him and encourage him to lead that church well. I pray that you would surround him with, with uh, a group of men that would lead well with him, and I pray for his marriage, that it's strong so that his prayers are never hindered, and I pray for his kiddos. I pray that you would just help him as he gets settled here to kind of figure things out and to, to, uh, to make sure to always put you first, his wife next, and, uh, and then kids and everything else after that, Lord. I pray that you would give him a good sense of balance in ministry. Lord, as we consider how you can be known uh, by your design and creation this morning, uh, we pray that you would speak to us. Bless this time, Lord. Uh, we, we ask that you would um, speak clearly to us through your text. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll turn to Romans 1, 19 through 20. 19 through 20 is going to be our focus this morning. I'm going to read it aloud. It says this. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. I'm going to read it again, because that's, that's where we're spending the entirety of our time this morning. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, they are without excuse. 
This is the second sermon in our six-part series on God's wrath from Romans 1, 18 through 32. One Bible study trick that we've picked up over the years from Howard Hendricks, if you don't know who Howard Hendricks is, you should get his book, Living by the Book. Nothing has helped me more in figuring out how to study my Bible and really understand what's going on. But one of the tricks we picked up is anytime you see a for or a therefore, you ask what it's there for. It's kind of easy to remember because it's all the same words, and because it's the same words, it also rhymes. What's the for, therefore? Or what's the therefore, therefore? Are we clear on that? I'm not starting the morning with riddles. I'm trying to start it out with some clarification. What's the for, therefore? For what can be known about God is plain to them. Well, it points to the previous verse. What that means is that what we're about to study, what we're about to consider, is connected to what we considered last week and in the previous sermons in Romans. In this verse in particular, it means that God's wrath is towards all ungodliness and unrighteousness for or because what can be known about God is plain to them. If we use our, our conversational technique that we used last week where we're trying to, you know, diving back into Romans, it's kind of like diving into the middle of a conversation. And so consider a conversation with Paul. If we continue it from last week, it was it was, Paul, what do the Jews and the Gentiles need to be saved from? And the answer last week from Paul was, from the wrath of God. And this week, the question would be, well, Paul, why do they deserve God's wrath? And the answer would be, because what can be known about God is plain to them, but they have rejected him. Why do they deserve wrath? Because what can be known about God is plain to them, but he has not been considered and honored appropriately. So here's our roadmap for the morning. Three things. Here's our roadmap. This is where we're going. Number one, we're to consider to whom this is referring. It says them twice. So we're going to ask, who is the them? That's not a proper sentence, but we're going to ask it anyway. Who is the them? Second, where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning, we're going to consider how it is that God's eternal power and divine nature can be known in what he has created. And then third, we're going to consider the effect of such knowledge. What, if, if he can be plainly known, what, what effect does that have on his created beings? So who is them? This has a twofold answer. It starts off, it says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So who, who are we talking about this morning? Well, on one hand, it's really a twofold answer. On one hand, most commentators believe that this refers to the Gentiles. And the reason for this is that the Jews are very, very particularly addressed in chapter 2. But the Gentiles are the ones who didn't have the law, they didn't have the promises, they didn't have the covenant, they haven't had this multi-generational relationship with God, and so he's speaking to those who don't have those things and saying, God can still be plainly known to you. We're going to explore that this morning. So it's to the Gentiles. But if it's speaking to the Gentiles, the second part is it's really speaking of and to everyone. Because there isn't any gospel truth spoken to Gentiles that doesn't apply to the Jews as well. See, the Roman church is made up of Jews and Gentiles, and Paul's goal isn't to speak to them separately and separate them further than they've already been separated, but his goal is to bring them together, so he's speaking truth to them. So this means that what can be known about God is plain to everyone. If you're wondering who God is and what God's about, it's a good morning for you to be here because what can be known about God is plain to you. That's what we're going to consider this morning. To everyone, why? Because God has shown himself to them and made himself known to all. 
Why is what can be known about God plain? Because God made it that way. God's desire is not, while God is mysterious in so many ways, his desire is not to remain unknown. He's mysterious because he's God and we're not. But as God, he, has wanted, he wants to make himself known, and that's what we're considering this morning. He has shown himself to everyone, made himself known to all. To be clear, you could call this the general revelation sermon. If you know the difference between general and revelation, specific revelation, that's great. We're not going to consider it too much this morning, but this is general revelation, not salvation. You can't get saved by sitting next to a tree long enough. So I want to make that clear up front. However, there's a lot that can be seen in that tree if you would but open your eyes. So we're going to come back to that point later, but for now it's important to see that everyone, everyone can know God in the way that we're considering today. So what is it that can be known? God says, we've sung about it this morning, what can be known is his invisible attributes. Now, I don't want you all to rush through this. I don't want to rush through this. I really want us to consider the absolutely massive claim that is being made by Paul in this letter to the church in Rome. What can be known about God? His invisible attributes attributes. So in some way, all people in all places should be able to not just barely see, but plainly see the invisible attributes of God. Plainly see the invisible. Are you all with me on this? It's a big claim. How? That, that, should, be, that should be like the obvious question, right? Oh, you can see invisible stuff? How? How how does that work? Well, namely, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since, ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. really want you to take this in for a minute. What Paul has just claimed is that creation makes invisible things visible. If you're writing notes and taking notes, that would be something to write down. Paul just made a huge claim. God, speaking through Paul, just made a huge claim. Creation makes invisible things visible. Creation reveals God in a unique way so that everyone can know him. And not only that, this is by God's design. This was not an afterthought once all of creation was created. For from the beginning, from the point in which creation started, God's plan, from before the beginning, God's plan was that every created human being could look at and observe each other and all of creation and clearly perceive God's eternal power and God's divine nature. Many of us have started Bible reading plans this year, and you've spent this last week, at least half of it, in the creation account. And as I was considering this verse, I I considered, you know, every time I read through that, I read through it as sort of, this is a historical account of what happened and when it happened and the order that it happened. And while that's true, as I was reading it this week in light of this text, I found myself realizing this is an account of how God will make himself known to us. As you read, in the beginning, God, that's the beginning of how God is making himself known to every person he will create thereafter. So it, 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 this helps us to read our Bibles with maybe a little more clarity. It's not just a historical account. 
that we've been spending time in this week. It's how God plans to make himself known to us, how those invisible things that have existed always, that don't have a beginning because they've always been there, how can these invisible attributes of God be made known? And God's plan has always been that through the creation, we could know him. God made nature so that he can be known through it. Calvin states, man was created to be a spectator of this formed world. Eyes were given him that he might, by looking on so beautiful a picture, be led up to the author himself. Author is a fitting term. We can think this morning about God in terms of our creator and also as the author of all things created. The text says that these things have been able to be known ever since the beginning. Scripture says that God created all things from nothing, ex nihilo. He he created everything created. Look around. Consider what you saw on the way here this morning. Consider the view out of your windshield. Consider the wind that you felt. Consider the cold. All things that are created, God made from nothing. You want to talk about eternal power. He made them from nothing, ex nihilo. From nothing. You don't have to turn there. We're going to put the verse up here, Psalm 33, 8 through 9 says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. As the psalmist is thinking about how to praise God, this is what comes up. This is God speaking through the psalmist on how God aims to be praised All the earth, not just some of it, let all of the earth and all of the inhabitants, not just some of them, stand in awe. Why? Because God spoke and all of this came to be. And he continues to speak, so all of it stands firm. But not only did he create all things created from nothing by his word, but he sustains it from nothing at every point of its existence. So God created everything with a word, out of nothing, And the reason that it is still here, the reason that you're still breathing, the reason that the trees are still moving in the wind outside, the reason that the sun is shining, the reason that the sky is proclaiming is that it is all also being sustained by the same word. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I hope you're considering at this point that maybe all of these things are really, really important. For him, through him, by him, held together by him, all for the purpose of communicating a message to you. This helps us to understand how God's eternal power can be perceived. Some of y'all may remember back to Hebrews 1, verse 3. It says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. One of my favorite things to do with my kiddos when the stars are out is to go outside and say, okay, look up. They're all still there. None of them are gone. And if one of them does something crazy, it's by the word of God. But you know why that? You know why we can always see this, this line of stars here or this constellation? Because by God's word, he's holding them up there. And not only that, scripture actually says he's named each one of them. So sometimes I, I challenge my kids, hey, try to name all of them. 
And they come up with bizarre, crazy, off-the-wall names. I'm like, that doesn't even come close. God put them there, he holds them there, and he named all the stars. We have our own little names for them, but it'd be interesting to know what, what God's name is for them. Just get outside of the box this morning. Consider how big the world around us is. We get so focused on who we are and what's going on and what I need to get done that it's hard to see all of the things that God wants you to see because in them you learn about him. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. If God were to quit speaking, we would cease to exist. If he were to quit speaking, we would cease to exist. In one of Jonathan Edwards' sermons on the subject, he states, when we look upon anything that we can behold, we see the present operation of infinite power. So that means, if Jonathan Edwards is right, which he's a pretty smart guy, I think he's trustworthy, he reads his Bible, if that's right, then there are an innumerable occasions sitting in this room as you look at other created individuals where you can see the present operation of God's infinite power. He goes on to say, so when we look upon the sun, the moon, the stars above, or we look upon the earth or the things below, if we look so much as upon the stones or under them, we see infinite power now in exercise in that place. Why does that exist? Because infinite power is going forth by the word of God. If we look upon ourselves and we see our hands, there's so much going on right there. Are y'all blown away right here? There's so much going on right here. It says if we look upon our hands or our feet, these members have an existence now because God is there, and by an act of divine power, he upholds them. So God is not only everywhere, but put this in your notes, he is everywhere working. That was the title of Jonathan Edwards' sermon. He is everywhere working. If you wonder about the omnipresence of God, one of my kids recently asked me, hey, God, uh, uh, Dad, about God, uh, he's everywhere? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you want to go to the bathroom? Yeah, yeah, he's there. Well, why? And, and honestly, I was a little stumped. I was like, why is God in the bathroom? How do I answer this in a way that's going to be fruitful and edifying to my kiddos? But this actually gives us our answer. He, he's present and he is everywhere working. He's divinely holding us together. He's divinely keeping our existence existing. He's divinely present, letting his power go forward by his word. Far, far different than some absentee landlord, right? Some people view God as this God that just put all this into motion and then took his hand off. I'm done. Let's see what happens. Hope for the best. No, he's not up there with his hand off of things, aloof and disinterested. He is actively working in everything that exists. The power of his word is going forth in every moment. The breaths that you are taking right now, the thoughts that you're thinking right now, is the infinite power of God moving forward in an amazing way. Yet we, we don't give thought to it all the time. But when we do, it's because of him. He's not an absentee landlord. He's omnipresent because he is everywhere working. He is everywhere because he is everywhere doing work, doing power. Things are going forth from God in every moment. I want you to turn to Psalm 139.16. I haven't had you turn to many places. Uh, this is going to be one of the few this morning. Psalm 139.16. 
While you're turning there, I want you all to consider that the Psalms are a great way to help us kind of dive into what God wants to communicate through his creation. Psalm 119 is a wonderful one. Psalm 104 is something we're going to consider here in a little bit. But here in Psalm 139, verse 16, it says this, Your eyes, the psalmist is saying, God, your eyes, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Taking all this into account, we see God as author, we see the world as his story, and it's a story that he wrote before we existed. All of the days of every individual in this room and in every room that has ever existed and outside of every room that has ever existed, every one of those days was written completely and totally by God. So he's the author. This world is his story. He's communicating something through his story. And we are his characters. But not only that, but he has entered into this story in many profound ways. Joe Rigney. This is a book. It's called The Things of Earth. Um, honestly, I picked this book up when I was going through kind of a dark season. And I was having trouble enjoying things. And I picked this book up because it's, it's called The Things of Earth, Treasuring God by Enjoying His Gifts. Sometimes we take a bit of an extreme measure on things and we're like, because we love Jesus, I hate everything physical, everything material. I don't want to be gladdened or made joyful by anything because it will lead me to hell and I don't want to enjoy Dr. Pepper and sunsets and queso and, and I, it's just, I'm not going to do it. And we kind of go take this extreme route that's really not necessary because God has created things so that he can be enjoyed while you enjoy them. It leads us to him. So in this book, Joe Rigney states, God writes the book of history and then he reads it aloud into existence. So consider your existence today is God reading that book aloud because it's only by his word that you are here and it's only by his word that you are sustained. God didn't create the world because something was missing. God didn't create the world because something was lacking. Sometimes it, when, in our human nature, when we're trying to, to make sense of Genesis and we're kind of figuring out, man, well, that's really big, but what happened before then? We may wrongly have a picture in our head of God sitting there like, like you know, frustrated and upset, like something's missing, as if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit within the Trinity are looking at each other saying, guys, does anyone else feel like something's lacking? Guys, does anyone else feel like there's, there's something missing? Does anyone feel like there could be more? There was never a moment where the Trinity had such angst. There was never a moment where, the, where our God, where the three, in three persons, was ever in a place where something was missing or something was lacking. But, but rather... There is a perfect love that has always existed between Father, Son, and Spirit, and it always existed, and there was never a time where it didn't exist, and it has always been as full as it could possibly be. So it's not possible that creation is the product of, well, God was lonely and he needed us, or God was bored and he needed something to do, or God just, just, just felt like there could be more. No. 
out of the fullness of the Trinity, out of the love that exists perfectly between Father, Son, and Spirit, God created this world. Out of that love, an overflow, almost almost this thing that couldn't be more appropriate than it is, like the most perfect of results, God and this perfect love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is moved into creation. So in a sense, God's love for himself pushed him into creation. He made everything, and everything was good. Think about on the creation account. I kind of wanted to just read a handful of chapters this morning, but I, I thought it might not be the best use of time, but I encourage you to do it in your time. Everything is good. He makes it, and it's good. He makes it, and it's good. Yet we so often don't say it's good. Or we miss that it's good. Or we don't know how it's good. Or we don't plumb, try to plumb the depths of how we can see God in these good things that he has created. So in a sense, God's love for himself pushed him into creation. He made everything and it was good. So in a similar way, in our text this morning, if we have a proper love of God, it should also push us into creation a little bit. Right? Knowing that in the things that have been created... We can perceive invisible things. We can perceive God's eternal power and divine nature. The scriptures push us to do that, right? Look at the birds. Consider the lilies. Go to the ant. Look to the heavens. Scriptures encourage us to be pushed into creation because there's something to be seen there. When when Jesus says, look to uh, look at the birds and consider the lilies, it's not just like a metaphor. It's really go outside, find a lily and a bird, and look at it. Consider it. He's not just being like artsy and, you know, hip. It, it, the point is to really go do that. Go and sit and look at the birds. I've got this, there's this lady on Facebook that is a friend of my mom's that I'm friends with, and I don't know why, but... For some reason, my entire feed is populated with her pictures of birds. And I, like, I'm not close. We, we don't have any messages. I, we don't have a lot of communication. Um, I know her through my mom. But like every day, hundreds of pictures of birds. And, and I, there was one day where I was like, okay, enough is enough with these stinking birds. I'm blocking her. I'm blocking her and all her birds. And as I went to click it, I heard the voice of Jesus in the, in the scripture, look at the birds, Scott. Look at the birds. And so now it's hilarious. Like literally nine out of every ten things on my wall, for whatever reason, I have no idea how the computers figure all that out, are these pictures of birds. Let me tell you something. It's pretty amazing. There's a lot that you can learn about God through this lady's Facebook feed because of all the birds and all their various and sundry qualities and characters and looks and designs. But the point is, we should actually do such things. We should actually consider the lilies and how they're so beautifully and wonderfully and marvelously clothed to consider how it is that God takes care of us. Many of us know Job's story. The devil approached Job, the devil approached God to seek permission to tempt and to afflict Job in order to prove that he only praises God because his life is charmed, because things are going well for him, because he's blessed. Long story short, 
God grants the devil an approval to afflict Job, but with restrictions. And Job goes through some really terrible trials and losses. The reason I'm feeling led to go here this morning is because some of you have led, been led to go to Job, right? In your hard seasons of life, when you're trying to make sense of things, like, what is going on here? What's going on with my life right now? What's going on in my marriage? What's going on with this loss that I have experienced? What's going on with this deep and profound heartache? Many people go to the book of Job to try to gain some footing and gain some understanding on who they are, who God is, and what in the world is going on in this fallen and broken world. It's hard to see things clearly in those moments where trial and loss are severe. Job goes through some very terrible trials, some really significant losses. And in chapter 31 of Job, we see Job trying to make sense of it all, and in a moment of exclamation, he states, let the Almighty answer me. Exclamation point. Sounds sort of like one of the Old Testament prophets. God, give an account for yourself. We should all shudder a little bit when the created says to the creator, you owe me an answer. But in a moment of desperation, some of us have done the same thing. It's not like we can look at this and be like, I don't understand why he would do that. Many of us have been in the same place. Why? What's going on? How does this make sense? Who are you? Who am I? Are we even close, God? You feel so distant right now. I don't understand. How can I enjoy you when I'm hit, hit with such profound heartache and loss and trial and tribulation? Let the Almighty answer me. Turn to Job 38. It's pretty crazy to say to God, answer me. What's even crazier is when God does. This created human being said to the creator, give me an answer. And our loving, powerful creator did. And 38 says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? I want to be careful in our tone here. Because oftentimes when I read this, it sounds less like a God who's lovingly giving an answer and, you know, putting Job where he needs to be so that he can see God, but it sounds more like the Wizard of Oz sort of thing. Who darkens the council by words without knowledge? How dare you interrupt me? And that's not the tone that we need to read this passage with. It's a tone of authority. It's a tone of power. But we have to see how remarkably loving it is that our God answered Job in such a painful time. We're going to read all of chapter 38 and a little bit into chapter 39. So dig in with me and let's consider in this moment, this moment where, where um, Job's trying to get some answers, where Job's trying to make sense of things. He's trying to get, get his, his bearings on, God, who are you? What are you doing? What's going on with me? Let's see what answer the creator of Job seems is most appropriate. Verse 3, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. 
Who determined its measures? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? You should hear Job be putting in his, being put in his place. But I want to make sure we're careful because it's not the way that we put each other in each other's places. It's a loving response from God. And when we hear from our creator who he is and who we are, it is humbling. It does bring us very, very low, which we'll see in Job's response in a minute. But just consider what God is saying. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come, see, and no further, and hear your proud waves, waves shall be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? And cause the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, Job? Or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? I mean, just think about that. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness? That you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain? And a way for the thunderbolts to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. To sort of climb into the, the realities of creation, I ordered the, the Planet Earth DVDs this week. I just kind of had them going while I was working on the sermon. And one of the things that came up was in the desert, there's a particular desert, and there's a place where all of these... the uh, clefting a channel for the torrents of rain. They end up at this place in the desert, but it's rain that happened 500 miles away that eventually made its way into the desert and that there's all of these different animals that come from hundreds of miles away to get there and, and they just barely make it. But, but it's just right there. It's, it's God's perfect orchestration of exactly what is needed. I thought of that when who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain to make the ground sprout with grass in a waste and desolate land? Has the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? There were frost on the cars this morning. I sat and I said, I sat with Ella in my truck for a few minutes. I was like, do any of these pieces of frost look the same? No, they're all different, just like the snowflakes. If you are on Facebook, the Hickses had a bunch of snowflakes in the caps. They were all beautiful, and none of them were the exact same. 
From whose womb did the ice come forth and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Look to the stars. Can you do that? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may come over you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Lightning bolts showing up to God. Here we are. Where do you want us to go? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? So we've looked low, we've looked high, now we're looking inward. Who can number the clouds by wisdom or can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds and the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey? When its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they, will, that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, bring forth their offspring and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. If you're sitting here thinking, gosh, Scott, that was a lot of reading. God goes on for three more chapters. That's the answer that's fitting for Job when he's trying to figure out who God is and what is going on in his life. I was thinking about this chapter, you know, to put it in, in terms that may be a little more familiar. It, it might be like a, a, a child saying to their father, Dad, why can't I have blank? A new bike, phone, whatever it might be. Why can't I have blank? Dad, answer me. The, the father doesn't owe the child an answer. The father, well, hold on, let me explain myself. That's not how it works. Sometimes a loving father will give a reply. And if it's in line with the reply that Job just got, it might be something like, where were you when I woke up at 5 a.m. to go to work? Where were you when the electric bill needed to be paid? Do you know how to do my job? Hold on, hold on. Do you even know what my job is? Do you even know what I'm doing? Not in a condescending and hateful and unloving way, but in a profoundly loving way that helps us to understand our place and helps us to understand our Heavenly Father. There's no doubt to me that this is God showing his divine nature. Eternal power and divine nature. God is saying to Job, this is what I care about and this is what I tend to while keeping you alive by my word. And look at Job's response in 42.5. God goes through chapter 41, speaking to Job about creation. You can imagine that Job doesn't fire back a bunch of questions, but he's humbled. And it says in 42.5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. He's humbled. He goes on to say, therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. There's one point where he says, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth because I, I shouldn't be talking right now. 
He's humbled, profoundly humbled by this answer. But what I want us to see here is, I had heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Not just creation, but you. God took Job on a journey through creation. When Job was trying to figure out some answers, God essentially took him by the hand and said, let's take a walk through the highs, through the lows, the mountains, the clouds, the storehouses, the depths of the sea, the inside of your brain. Let's take a walk through creation. God took Job on a journey through creation, and the result was that Job saw not just creation. Job saw God with his eyes. I had heard, but now my eye sees you, God. He saw God's eternal power and divine nature in creation. He saw God's eternal power and divine nature in the movement of the waters, in the breaking of the dawn, in the pouring of the rain, in the steadiness of the stars, in the formation of each cloud, in the strike of each bolt of lightning, in the calving of the does, in the birth of the mountain goats, and in the intricacies of how his own brain works. He saw God. To help Job understand him, out of love, God pushes Job into creation. God pushes Job into considering all that God had created. The way that that Job could see the invisible, the way that Job could see the invisible attributes of God was for God to, to grab his hand and push him, pull him, bring him into creation so that he could understand the power and the divine nature of his creator. Rigney in this book again observes, If divine glory really is in creation, then ought we not linger a little longer in creation? There's your application point for the morning. There's only one. It's not even really all that specific. But I think it'll have a profound impact if we would just linger a little longer in nature. I know it's cold outside. See what effect that has on you when you go stand in it. Linger a little longer in creation. This doesn't mean that you have to live out of your van and eat granola and stop showering. It just means that every moment of every day, there's an opportunity to perceive the divine nature and eternal power of the one who created you. If you will but look, listen, taste, and see, using the senses that God has given you for the purpose that he has given them to you. This brings us to the last point of our sermon. Because God has gone to great lengths to make himself known to every human being, every human being is without excuse when it comes to acknowledging and honoring God. Go back to that conversation. Paul, why do people need to be saved from God's wrath? Why would they deserve God's wrath? And his answer was, because everyone can see God in what he has created So the last point this morning is is sobering. Every human being is without excuse when it comes to acknowledging and honoring God. The rest of the chapter goes on to say what it looks like when we don't acknowledge and honor God. If you're sitting there thinking, I hear you talking about creation, but couldn't that be taken a little far? You're starting to sound like a pantheistic pastor or something like that. Come back next week. We're going to talk about what happens when we take it too far, when we worship creation rather than our creator, because it happens all the time. But every human being is without excuse. 
God's design is that he would make himself known and that the response, the proper response of every human being is that they would see what's happening, that they would observe it, that they would be a part of it, and that they would perfectly acknowledge God and they would perfectly honor God. But not just some people failed at that. Everyone failed at that. You don't have to first hear the gospel and then reject the gospel in order to be culpable and deserving blame if you don't acknowledge or honor God. All you have to do is hear the wind and reject it. See the stars and reject it. See the proclamation of the sky. Just keep on moving. That's all it takes. You don't actually have to hear the gospel and reject the gospel to be found responsible for, what, for that rejection. It's, it, it, there's general revelation in which God has just made himself known to everybody. While special revelation and salvific revelation is a gift to some, this general revelation that we're talking about this morning is a gift to all. You know, I was thinking about this, and I was a little hesitant. I was talking to Ben about this to bring up a really big question at the end of a service, but I think the, the, script, the Scripture answers it kind of quickly. But one of the things I thought about was if you ever wondered about the tribes, and like when we start talking about, you know, sharing the gospel and evangelism and speaking truth and people who go and do that in the mission field, and if you've ever wondered about, like, those tribes in the remote wilderness, like, what about them? Some people never get there to share the gospel. God has designed the world around them so that he can be plainly known and they are without excuse in the very same way that he's designed the world around you so that he can be plainly known and you are without excuse. Every human being in every place, every created person in every created place is held responsible. All the more reason for someone to take them the gospel and help fill in the blanks, right? Too often we think, well, we'll just go somewhere where God's not doing anything. That place doesn't exist. God's doing something profound everywhere. Every person everywhere in this amazing feet of God can see invisible things. The invisible attributes of God can be made known. That should be your motivation for going and telling and sharing. Not that God's slacker and we're going to pick up the slack. He's doing things everywhere. At your school, kids. At your school, you can observe the eternal power of God at work in every person you talk to. That's the motivation behind taking truth to people. Not because God's a slacker and we're picking up the slack, but because he is everywhere working. As we prepare to take the supper, it's fitting to marvel that we weren't left with general revelation only. I mean, Joe, what we've talked about this morning is pretty cool, but even if you just like abandon all electronics and go outside and just really try to get close to God, it won't save you. So what we're going to consider as we take the supper this morning is the good news that we weren't left with general revelation only. General revelation is a stepping stone, like natural law is a stepping stone. When you're sharing the gospel with people, it's a way to get us down the road, but it's not the end of the road. Thankfully, we weren't only left with this general revelation, because while it makes us culpable, while it makes us responsible, while it makes us worthy of blame for not perfectly acknowledging and honoring God, it doesn't save us. Not only did God, from the perfect love of the Trinity, create us and this world in such a way that he can be known, but he then, in the fullness of time, in that perfect moment, in that day that was written in the book from before any of the days existed, 
He sent his son into the world, taking on flesh like all other created human beings, so that we might have the opportunity to venture past the knowledge of God in creation and into a personal relationship with our creator. We are not limited to only knowing God through creation, though it is a profound and wonderful thing when we do. We can know our creator personally through Jesus Christ. As we distribute the elements this morning, we're going to play a little video from 2010. Some of the little precious voices will be familiar to y'all. But it's out of Psalm 104. And as, as you listen to the video and then as we sing together, I want you to consider the appropriate responses to a God who has given us the ability to see his invisible attributes and power in creation and the God who went even further to send his son into creation so that we might be saved. Let's distribute the elements. <laughs> 